Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, and here with me for a delicious conversation about fine dining being served up on a platter for the takedown is my best friend, co-host, and a man whose food I would never send back to the kitchen, Patrick. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the best podcast restaurant that exists right now in this moment. We hope you enjoy this experience. (laughs) I love it. I hope you enjoy this experience. That's great. Uh, We took the last week off while I was attending and covering the Sundance Film Festival, but we are happy to be back together and chatting about this surprise hit from late 2022. Speaking of Sundance, I have been releasing episodes already discussing the films that I saw with several more to come, so be sure to check those out and find out what films should be on your radar. Also, don't forget to visit nowplayingnetwork.net and all of our great sister shows, Movie Madness, hosted by Eric Childress, For example, recently reviewed nine movies that you can watch right now, some of them popular, some of them more on the auteur side, so give that one a listen. And last but not least, as always, here's your spoiler warning for this week's conversation. We're going to ruin it, and it's a wild ride better experienced for yourself. You can see it on HBO Max for those that have. Here we go. Patrick, are you ready? Yes, chef. Excellent. Well, before we get started uh, in depth, <laughs> you're not supposed to laugh. You're supposed to be terrified by my presence. You're like, you're, right, sorry. you're, you're breaking sorry. the immersion of my control in this moment right now. <laughs> you're like, my bad. I just took I'm a cheeseburger. Send you out. I got a cheeseburger. I'd be better. Yeah. Gonna, uh, the cheeseburger. Yeah. You're going to get yeah, like just... something to stab you in the thigh is what's going to happen if you're not careful. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, before we get uh, into the, the meat of this, <laughs> yeah, see, that was not even a planned food pun. It's just going to happen before we get all the, the main time. course. Before, before we get the <laughs> yeah, main course. It's, it's so easy. <laughs> yeah, it it's is, awesome. isn't it? I wanted to get your read on where you stand on fine dining. Have you ever had a fancy dinner anywhere close to the kind that we see that Hawthorne is providing? Obviously, minus the you know threat of death. Uh, well, yeah, I did not experience that. I've had two experiences when it came to the kind of the high star restaurant experience of the multi-course meal. One was with my wife when we went to Chicago on our honeymoon. We went to a place called 160 Blue. I don't think it exists anymore, but we were like the only ones. It was like a Tuesday night and it was rainy. So I expected some kind of like slasher guy to come out as we were leaving the restaurant, like a la horror movie. But that didn't happen. Um, it was typical. You had the bread. Well, I guess I'd say it's typical. We didn't have bread in this movie, but you'd have the bread and you'd have the salad and you have the protein and the dessert and stuff. The most memorable one, though, was a number of years ago, we had the pleasure of traveling to Northern California, a town called Mendocino. My wife's roommate at the time was getting married and they were having this sort of a big hullabaloo and the town itself is just really kind of quiet. It's kind of like just very slow, slow pace. It's kind of like where the Gilmore girls live, just very 
quaint and small townish. But as part of the experience, after the wedding, instead of having a rehearsal dinner, they had essentially a family dinner. So all the attendants and family members were all invited. And you got to remember the people that were part of this wedding party are from smaller towns in Arkansas. Now, they had money. They came from like her husband was a farm. You know, he had his own farm. So they did. They were able to afford this. This wasn't like they were they were poor coming from small towns necessarily, but they were small town people. And so when you think about like good food, you're thinking about fried foods and buffets and things like that. And so I'm sitting there with my wife and we're getting the whole kind of five course meal, the big plate, small portions. We get to the first, like the appetizer course, and it quite literally is a plate about 12 inches long and a little little kind of cylindrical appetizer that you could just put in your mouth like a piece of sushi. The funniest thing that I experienced from this was the husband's like brothers or cousins from from this the small town are getting through the first two courses and one guy just kind of leans over to his his relative his brother and says i think i've eaten like 3 calories so far <laughs> and oh yeah we had a choice of like meat like a beef or a chicken or a fish or something like that and so most of us got the 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 beef and it was amazing it was like a a ribeye and it was like really fantastic and the experience was just really different because it's spread out and so much like this movie one of those one of the experiences that you're you're made to savor you're made to sort of really not taste as Slowick says don't taste but experience but i think when you combine it with sort of a casual dining community like we had it sort of made for a little bit of a mixture of fine dining and an SNL sketch for us. So we had a great time with it. In fact, the the accent piece to this was that among the party, there were a couple of 10-year-old kids and they weren't going to order this stuff. And so they had a chicken chicken nuggets. So you can get ma- they had macaroni and cheese and I kid you not, that same plate that had like the uh-huh. you know, the little medallion meal filled to the brim with mac and cheese. And the guy the calorie guy, I could hear him say, "Hey, is he going to eat all that cuz if he's not, I could take that off his off his plate (laughs) it was just (laughs) absolutely hysterical but the food was amazing and it's one of those things where you have to ask yourself was it the food that was amazing or was it the experience of being able to really be forced to savor that and i think even at 160 blue we were it was so parsed out like even when we were asking for bread they don't put a basket there with like slices of bread you would eat a piece of bread that's about like a cube shape, kind of like what you'd get like a crouton, only a little bit bigger. You would dress it up, put butter on or whatever. And then he would come back like a few minutes later. And he said, would you like some more bread? And I was like, yes. And so he would take his tongs and go boop and then put the same size on my plate. So you're forced to not overeat. At this point, you're under eating for a normal person. But I can't necessarily disagree or be mad at the fact that this is part of the experience is we were there for probably two, two and a half hours at both those places. And I think for us, the byproduct, at least from the second experience was that you got a chance to talk to people. Like you weren't rushing through a meal and then spending an hour and a half with the waiter going, when are these people going to leave? No, that five course meal allowed you to be able to not only enjoy the food, but enjoy the company as well. It was really cool. I don't know that I would do it again, at least not on, not on my dime, but if I did, that's the kind of experience I would want. 
Wow, that's really cool. I had no idea you were going to tell that story when I put that question in here. So that's pretty neat. I have not come that close, I wouldn't say. I've been to one of the more high rated restaurants in Seattle that's, you know, like $200 a a course or not a course, but $200 for like the full course experience. Once upon a time, I went to one and it was not quite the same as like having a whole group of people with me. It was just me and one other person. And it, it was similar, though, in the sense that like, you know, they give you a few courses that are very specific and then they don't tell you what's coming for the rest of them like there are some legitimate surprises that happen and everything is super tiny and super perfectly plated and gorgeous with every like little dollop of sauce in the exact right spot i remember being extremely underwhelmed and i wouldn't say frustrated with the cost because i knew what i was getting into when i did it But it was not something that I have in the 10 years or so since I did it sought out to do again, simply because I do not love all of the food as much. It's not that I don't enjoy a good, you know, very fancy dish here and there, but there are a lot of the dishes that just don't necessarily speak to my palate, (laughs) I would say. And you know, much like we see in this movie, there's a sense of, I think, disrespect that the chef feels when you say that. And when you're like, well, no, that that doesn't appeal to me. Uh, You know, they get their feelings hurt. They're expecting you to find enjoyment in it no matter what. And that's a disconnect. (laughs) So for me, I have not gone back to one. But uh, at least I've been close enough that I feel like this was able to hit home a little bit closer to me uh, just from that experience. So I guess we have, we both have something to base our viewing of this movie off of. Uh, Yeah. So this is a satire and I like, I'm going to word this wrong. So like my feelings on straight up comedies, satires are very hit and miss for me. Personally, I believe a satire needs to kind of be, two things to be good or to be satisfying for me. And that is one, it has to be entertaining. And two, I think it has to do something or say something about the world in a way that makes me think or makes me reevaluate, reflect, etc. The social commentary has to be something interesting to me. Yeah. And There are so many of these movies, Patrick, that do one or the other, (laughs) you know, and it's just not easy to nail the balance of both. And so I kind of wanted to start with that. And I want to start with entertainment. Well, actually, before I ask, do you agree or is there am I missing something? Was there some other element of a satire that you think is necessary? Well, I think it, it comes down to the intentionality and to the level of satire that you were doing. So entertainment i think can be wrapped up or accented with satire that's either blatantly obvious and is very much self-aware of that obviousness or as you called it thoughtful commentary in other words not beating you over the head not giving you the answers to the questions but really allowing you to ask and treat the story as sort of a mystery i, I remember thinking about this 
going into the movie, I didn't look at the synopsis. I knew it was something about food, <laughs> the menu. And when I saw horror, I was like, oh, great. It's cannibalism, probably, because that's what Aaron's going to throw my way and say, it's fine. It's fine. Um, and, and I liked the mystery of it. I liked kind of going into it blind because it kind of gave me a little bit of glass onion feel where I was trying to solve a mystery. And to an extent, I think I was. But the mystery was in that social commentary. What is it trying to say about fine dining? What is it trying to say about the attitudes of the people that participate in this willy-nilly? Or do they have a a real value to it? And we'll get into some of the characters a little later. But I think that's what really makes this particular movie work, is that the commentary is subtle enough that you can draw your own conclusions, you can attach yourself to a particular group. I think that's one of the strengths of this, is that you don't just have a singular focal point of someone like Margot. There is a cast of characters that represent different perspectives of this kind of thing. And I'm glad that we got that, because if we didn't, then you would essentially be telling me how to think and what to feel. And I don't want to do that when it comes to giving me social commentary. Give me essentially an argument. Give me a perspective, even if you're leaning one way or the other. At least present those other ones to me. That way I feel like I'm getting a well-rounded kind of perspective. And on top of that, the entertainment value was there. This was one of those that, coming off of the heels of my first time watching Stranger Things 4 at this point, going through it slowly, there's a horror aspect of it that I think was already in my head. And fortunately, it wasn't like that extreme <laughs> or what, what I would consider extreme for me, but it did have some shock to it. And I think that using the five-star restaurant, the highbrow dining experience as the palette for it, no pun intended, I think was a great, great way to tell that story. It, for me, captured what I think I would sort of satirically experience if I were doing this on a regular basis or I were doing it for the first time. Because some of these things that was going on, I was like, yep, I experienced that. Yep, I said that too. And I think that that in and of itself, the dialogue, all the stuff from the different perspectives, I think was the biggest strength is we got so much, like, we got so many surprises. We got so many different kind of elements to it. Like at one point I felt like I was like living in a film version of the most dangerous game. Like, okay, when, when these guys take off, are they going to kill them or are they going to capture them? And we find out it's the latter. But I think there's the mystery of that really made it entertaining for me. And it was really great to finally get to the end and, and, and then kind of sit back and go, okay, this was definitely satirical. There's definitely some commentary here. What did I think? And, you know, with a little help of the internet, I was able to sort of put my thoughts together and that made it satisfying. But going through the whole story, there was a real entertainment value without that because there was a lot going on, a lot of, there was plot. It wasn't just comment, comment, comment. It was great lines. It was kind of like watching an episode of The West Wing where you have these little dialogues here and there and you're like, oh, that's funny. Or, oh my gosh, did that just happen? So all that stuff pieced together really made for a great entertaining experience for me. Yeah, I, I had very similar to you experience with it. And I and I think even knowing what was happening the second time around when I watched this, it still held up because the dialogue is snappy and it's in a way that I personally enjoy. The 
impactfulness of the social commentary completely aside, I enjoyed, like you said, getting to kind of dig into these different personality types and that made it entertaining to me is trying to figure out like, why are all of these different people here? And as that was slowly being revealed and we were seeing different people in the restaurant challenge the experience in some way and getting to see them shut down or put in their place was always, you know, quite a pleasant experience, especially like the tech bros and the whole bread. Like when you were talking about your experience, I was laughing to myself because I was thinking about the fact like, I cannot imagine that experience. I'm just telling you right now, like I, even being for the years and years that I was keto, obviously it would have been fine, but bread is such a expected thing that that whole idea is just so challenging to, to anybody who goes to a restaurant. Like bread is the thing it is expected. And so on some level, you're kind of with the guys, I think. You're like, okay, haha, this was funny, but really, like, okay, where's the bread? And then, and so I think you're with them, and that's entertaining, To but then it flips it, and it, it's even more entertaining because you're then rooting against them because they go about it in a way that you would then, as most audience members would not approve of, which is they, they yeah. make a threat. It's entitled. and It's an entitlement yeah, approach. Entitlement, you're like, yeah. It's just bread. Leave it alone. You've got three other courses that you're going to get and two courses that preceded it. Back off, chief. Absolutely. And I, and I think in the in that one scene, you get entertained because you're both in their shoes as someone who is thinking to yourself, this is ridiculous. These are three little dollops of sauce and I want my freaking bread too. But then they make those comments and now you shift. Your allegiance goes with Elsa the assistant and her pushback. Right. And, and I think that that is really smartly accomplished several times throughout this. And I, I really enjoyed that. And then I just enjoyed the nonsensical nature of Tyler's character and his oh, gosh. just ridiculous. Like Nicholas Holt is such a great actor for this part because he just wears this nonstop stupid grin. And it's like, you're an idiot. And and I felt very attached to Margot's character because we're looking at him through her eyes going, what is wrong with you? Like, you are not okay and not normal. And you're messed up. And of course, obviously, we learn he's way more messed up than, than even we thought at the beginning. But it, it is entertaining, uh, I think, throughout. And it's funny you mentioned the cannibal thing because... I think, did I tell you it was at one point? I might have because I thought it was going to be a cannibal movie when I watched it the first time. I didn't know anything about it. But yet last Maybe. year we had gotten several films about cannibalism. <laughs> and I was like, oh, great. Yet another movie. That, I mean, because the trailers weren't giving anything away. They were just saying, oh, you know, off on this mysterious island for a special meal that things go wrong. And I'm like, oh, well, of course, they're going to try to eat them. But they don't. It, it was definitely a direction that I was not expecting, and I found that part of it entertaining as well. From a satire perspective, or from a the way that it approaches fine dining, the world, um, our interactions with those that create the things for our pleasure, whether it be a chef or someone else, I wondered if any of these really stuck out to you. 
I will start and say that I find them to be fairly surface level. And it, it limited me thinking this movie did not do anything that really challenged my perspective of the world. It poked fun at things. And I was okay with that because I enjoyed the way that it poked fun at things. I think if there's one piece of the satire that really kind of did work for me, it's the whole cheeseburger concept and, and the ending. Um, the way in which Margot, I guess, beats Chef Slowick by challenging him to make her this cheeseburger and fries and then telling him that she doesn't want to eat it all and she wants it to go. And I, I kind of want to dig into that, by the way, a little bit, like why that was. But the fact that it, it's all built around this idea of I went through your little experience and I got nothing that actually sustained me. Like it was a it was a it was a bombastic kind of thing. But there is nothing inside me nutritious like that is that is making me feel fulfilled and satisfied. And and what will do that is this gigantic delicious, which looked absolutely phenomenal, by the way, like. I every I've watched it twice and both times in my mouth I've just been it's been watering at the end of this movie just wanting a flipping cheeseburger so bad um but it, it looks delicious and I think it that part is a fun little satire of people who are so strictly obsessed with this kind of meal that they disallow themselves from enjoying the cheeseburger too right like, I think that there's a place for both. And if you want to go have an experience like this, maybe that that's totally fine, but it does not need to be the norm. And it needs to be something that you can partake in while acknowledging the value of an everyday cheeseburger at the same time. And so that that kind of part of the commentary, I think, was the most interesting for me. Yeah. Several thoughts came to mind as I was watching this. One is that there was a counterpoint to this point, this point being this movie. Chef would be the counterpoint to that. Because what you have is the same idea of fine dining. And we see the behind the scenes stuff. We see John Favreau's character, Casper, putting together these meals and doing it with love, plating them. Not pretentiously, but because he loves food. He loves cooking. And we joke about one of our favorite scenes, of course, is the grilled cheese sandwich. Something as simple as bread, butter, and cheese. Or bread and cheese, if you wanted to get even simpler. How he does that and makes it even that look look gourmet, but it tastes amazing. I was thinking about that movie in relation to this, not as a comparison, but really as a point counterpoint in how we view fine dining. And you hit on something really, really important. If you can't have both, if you can't balance and appreciate both, the quote, common food versus the fancy food, you're really not getting what I would say is a holistic experience of what food should be. And a while back, a friend of mine uh, who I haven't kept in touch with, we've, we've kind of lost touch. We'd actually come up with this idea for a documentary about food and the concept being exploring food as both something that sustains and celebrates life. The idea of the quality of food that you put in your body 
and then the community of people that you surround yourself with while enjoying it. So I'm going back to my five-star experience with that group of people. The fun part about that is that I was around people that I was friends with, that I had become very friendly with over the course of these four or five days. And to hear somebody say, man, I think I only just had like five calories up to this point. I mean, it's really funny because it's, it's satirical in and of itself. You probably have. And I think what it does is it brings to light the fact that when you get into this high dining experience, there should be some acknowledgement that you're not looking for a calorie count. You're not looking for a volume, but you're looking for what it is that you're really trying to experience. So if it were me and I were to sort of bring this to the masses, I would say, listen, these chefs want to create something that's pretty amazing, but I want them to describe. And I think in some ways, in some satirical way, Sloic is doing this. He's describing, here's what I want you to understand about what I'm doing. At the same time, it keeps it a mystery, which I think is a little pretentious as it's supposed to be. It's like, you need to figure it out. And when you figure it out, it's going to blow your mind. <laughs> but yet Margot, who represents, I think, us, the common people, says, I don't get it. And at the end of the day, it didn't fill me up. Was she missing the point? Yep, absolutely. But that point being missed was what allowed her to sort of see the forest through the trees. And that was my other kind of takeaway from this, which is as a chef, when you forget about the joy of what you do as a chef, as a filmmaker, whatever, when you forget about the core reason you start doing something, then you start catering to everybody else except you. If you don't enjoy cooking, if you don't enjoy making movies, if you don't enjoy writing, but you're doing it for other people, now you're beholden to a culture and to a people that are telling you what's good. <laughs> when in actuality, you know, because you're the expert. And I think, I think about M. Night Shyamalan. Guy comes onto the scene, Sixth Sense, amazing, wow. Next hot filmmaker. And then he gives us The Village. And then he gives, not in this order, obviously, but he puts out movies that are critically a little bit more and more on the neg negative side. And then he gives us, I forget what it is, the, the wall, of, I, I don't remember which one it was, but he eventually sort of tails off. Because he starts getting these bigger budget movies. He's starting to get sort of the creativity, not taken away, but kind of massaged by other people. Here's what you should do. Here's how we can get more people to watch. Well, he walks away and then he comes back a few years later with an independent film. And what does it do? Well, it gets some really great praise. And now he's got a TV series on Apple TV. I think it's in his like second or third season. I don't know what the success is for him right now, but I think when you look at his career, when he start, stopped getting away from what he loved doing, when he stopped getting away from the core of him writing because he wanted to write, of him directing because he wanted to direct and create, that's when things started going off the tracks. And I think that in a broad stroke thought, this kind of is the way that any creative person should probably look at the world is if I'm not doing this for myself at the very least, if the first person I'm, not doing, I'm doing this for is not myself. I'm probably missing something. Jeff Nichols is a fantastic example. He won't take a big budget movie. Why? Because he likes writing stories that are local. He, write, he likes being independent. He likes having that full creative control. And there's nothing wrong with that. You might be limited in terms of your uh, spectators, your people, your audience. But at the end of the day, you're going to be proud of what you put out there. And I think that's something that's sort of threaded through this entire story, which is, is Sloic really proud of what he's bringing to the table? And I don't think he is until he gets that aha moment with the cheeseburger and Margot. Yeah, I, I think you're spot on. And I love that it's 
kind of in a way connected to what we do here right now, like in this moment, what we are literally doing with the podcast. So he actually says this at the end. He says, I've been fooled by trying to satisfy people who can never be satisfied, but that's our culture, isn't it? My restaurant is part of the problem. Mm-hmm. And it is a smart recognition. And and that is so true. Like we can't be satisfied. People, people will always need something else, something bigger, something more, something, you know, whatever experience you give them, they need a bigger experience. They need a, a better experience because it has to be something that somebody else hasn't had. Right. And, and they mentioned that multiple times. He even says that after Jeremy kills himself <laughs> and they call it the sous chef, Jeremy's the mess, <laughs> the fourth <laughs> chef, uh, uh, course or whatever. Wow. Uh, but he says, this is what you pay for. This is part of an exclusive experience. This is literally not replicable because Jeremy is not able to kill himself again. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so you're always trying to up that ante. And that ties into the ideas earlier of do not eat, savor, taste, enjoy. And then we have a scene where both the food critic and the movie star Diaz, who's prepping for his new food show, when they're tasting one of the courses, they both are trying to describe it. And they are going through these lavish words and just completely embellishing and and trying to make up all of this detailed explanation of what they're experiencing through poetry, essentially, to describe it to people. And I wrote down in my notes, like in all caps in parentheses, I was like, just eat and enjoy it. Just, just, just freaking enjoy it, right? Like that's what he's trying to get you to do. Stop taking pictures of it. Stop trying to describe it to the world. And this is what we're doing with regards to movies in a large way. I mean, obviously, I guess we're describing this one right now. So, but you know what I'm saying is like our approach is to try and lean into just enjoying things. And it's okay to do that. I, I say, I have a critic friend who has been on the show several times um, covering Sundance with me and such. And I was looking at his list of his movies that he has rated, right? And I would say a good 75% of them are three stars, maybe even two, two and a half stars and below. And I was like, dude, what, honest to goodness, do you like movies? At one point I asked him straight up. I was like, do you actually enjoy the act of watching movies. And he was explaining to me, and this is what like a critical type of perspective will get you, is unless there is something truly unique, like cinematography that like a choice that he is not familiar with or a unique and crazy story angle that is structured differently, you know, like he can't just enjoy a cheeseburger. Hardly ever. And we've got to not get to that point. And I think this movie does a good job of kind of highlighting that. Like, I I feel like it's so simple, but that's okay because I don't need the commentary to be like, there's other types of commentary in here. And and those are like not as interesting to me, but the whole idea of just this cheeseburger, it, it sums everything up so well that as long as you're engaged in what you're doing and you're truly in love with that moment and enjoying the thing in front of you, you know, you could take it to like the being present ideas. Well, even Tyler does it in the very first scene when they get on the boat to go to the island 
and they get that oyster or whatever. And she's like, oh, yeah. And she like reaches down to the oyster and he slaps her hand away and he's like, no, no, I need to get my pictures of it. How many of us can relate to that? I think almost all of us have done that. Maybe not slapped our oh, you know, yeah. significant others or whatever's hand away. But all of us have like delayed our own enjoyment of food in order to take a picture to put it on Instagram for why? <laughs> why? Who gives a crap? And I've, you know, I've run whole Instagram accounts for my food at one point in my life. Like I I don't want to be that person. Um and yeah. I, and I love that part of the message here. Well, and I I think that the the couple that I think we are meant to latch on to are Tyler and Marco because they represent two ends of a spectrum of the common people. So the other characters in this represent folks, one that could afford this on a monthly basis. We have the actual food critics. We have the tech guys. We have Leguizamo as the movie star and I guess his assistant. And then we have the the older couple that I guess is coming from money at some point. But you look at Margo and Tyler and you're right. I don't like this idea of if you think about 20 years ago, the concept of taking pictures of your food at a restaurant seemed ridiculous, but social media and Instagram have allowed us the opportunity to say it's equally as, or maybe in some cases more important for other people to know that I'm enjoying this than for me to enjoy it. So there's this thing where it's as if you have, you know, in the case of church, if there's a spontaneous moment where Two people are sitting down and praying because they need to. And then you have some other person who's recording it. I'm like, what? Really? Like, why Why are you documenting this? It's not just that you're missing the moment, but you're missing the purpose. You're missing the point. And to a lesser degree, when it comes to food, I almost think that if I'm on a date, if I'm hanging out with a group of people and they're sitting down and pointing their phones at their food and we're not having a conversation. Yes, it's an instant picture, but then you have to post it and you have to put something snarky or clever underneath that or hashtag why it's incredibly frustrating because it's essentially saying right now in this moment, this is more important than you. This is more important than even my personal experience because the fact is in an hour, I'm not going to remember how that food tasted, but I'm definitely going to remember what it looked like. Why? Because I'm going to have history. And not only that, but I'm going to remember all the people that like the fact that I experienced this. And I think that it becomes a level of pretentiousness that vaults that thing to a point beyond the person that you're with. And so if I am Margot, I want to slap Tyler across the face probably three or four times because he basically is just talking down to her. She is a trophy. She is a means to an end which comes to fruition when she finds out what the, that he knew this whole thing was going to be a death sentence at the end of it. I love her reaction. And just in general, you just don't want to piss off Anya Taylor-Joy because the character she's played, you don't want to mess with him. Okay. Were you shocked? Margot's the same. Like, w did you see this coming yes, at all? Yes, I absolutely, I did not. Okay. I did not. What I saw was Tyler, <laughs> it, it weirded me out. It absolutely weirded me out. When the gunshot happened and he's sitting there just eating his food like, oh, okay. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? Are, are you in a world that is not earth? Are you in a world where it is so much more important for you to experience something that the top 1% would experience that you've just witnessed a murder? 
what? What's happening here? And I love that he gets his comeuppance because his little storyline of him being able to say the right things, do the right things, look the right way. In other words, you know, if I'm going to use Instagram as the example, showing the right picture, you know, showing the perfect moment at the perfect time of day where, look, I'm having a great time. Slovak calls him out and he says, you know what? You deserve this. Do it yourself. But he also says, try it it. yourself. He's like, you understand, you understand the like building blocks of how it works. Yeah. Go make me something. Go ahead. Yeah. Exactly. And he undercooks it and whatever Slovak says, it ends up leading to his demise. Um, I love that it's, I say love. (laughs) Suicide is not something that I love. But in the confines of the story, I, I thought it was so metaphorically perfect that Tyler was the one that killed himself. It wasn't at the hands of Slowick. It wasn't at the hands of the food or the staff. Slowick had this power over him and was able to call him out on his crap, I think, that it was enough for him to say, I have nothing else to try to hold on to. I'm going to, I'm just going to end my life. And yes, on paper, that's tragic. But again, in the confines of a story like this, what we see is that ultimately our humanity, who we are, leads to our downfall. It's nobody else's fault. It's not Tyler's fault that he got called out for his crap and that he couldn't cook. <laughs> he did it to himself. And really that echoes through most, if not all these other characters, is that this whole meal is an opportunity for them to get called out for their stuff in some way, shape, or form. Some of it seemed a little bit serendipitous. You know, Margo was not meant to be there. I completely agree with that. I think that was a little bit serendipitous, but it added a great little twist to the story that led to what we enjoy the most, which is the cheeseburger moment. So it's really clever the way this whole thing works out because in some ways I feel like it was strategic on Slowick's part because he actually invited all these people here. And at the same time, the one person that he didn't invite is the one person that sort of we latch on to, which I don't know if that says something about how the common people actually have the right answers, that the smart people really aren't smart. The experts aren't the experts. I don't know if it goes that far, but there's some little hints of that, which I think is really clever. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think it's pretty clear that she is meant to be our, you know, cipher into the story as someone that we relate to. And especially as it goes to the end and she gives that wonderful monologue as she's on her way out, where she just tells him straight up. She's like, I love it. She says, you've taken the joy out of eating. It's intellectual bullshit. You cook with obsession, not love. Your single purpose as a chef is to serve people food that they like. You've failed, and I'm bored and hungry. I'd like a cheeseburger. And I was just, I mean, it's just, it's like you beat somebody at their own game. And I think we reflect on our own shortcomings through watching the characters that we're not fully like, or at least we don't want to believe we're fully like, but that we have some of those qualities. And so by the end, I think we want to be aligned with Margot even more. And we want to believe that that's us and everyone else is, you know, getting whatever they deserve. The tortilla thing is brilliant. I I loved the just the concept of that of like this idea that they are laser printing someone's like secrets and lies on a tortilla for them to read i thought that was just absolutely so cool i thought it was a little silly that margo is the same escort that had you know been with this guy who was with his wife and had cheated on her and that was his whole secret and i wanted to ask you about that so 
that was one of the elements of the story that I think is built in to somewhat give it like a little bit of a horror tinge to it is this idea of punishment. Obviously they cut off his ring finger, which is intentional because he cheated on his wife. Did you feel like any of their punishments were warranted or was that interesting to you to use that as like a means of engaging with each of them individually? Well, I don't know that we, so we didn't get individual punishments, which was surprising to me because you had several distinct couples. They all, for the most part, and I think even Tyler would have experienced this, is they met their demise at the hands of s'mores, you know, live s'mores, which I thought was just kind of a wow visual. Um, the hats especially were were a nice touch. But I think that there was almost a sense of like nihilism that existed with this group of people in that when they look at an experience like this, I don't know if it was ever said, but I think Tyler was the only one who knew that they were all going to die at the end. And so do I justify each of their deaths? Well, based off of the little bit that we know and the dialogue that Slovak has with with them, within the confines of the story, I think absolutely, because these are people that don't need to be around the world. These are people that don't need to exist. These are bad people on paper. And I think that there's a little bit of, I won't say hopelessness, I think satire lends itself to being able to give permission to not have a happy ending. So watching them all meet their demise, I think was sort of a tongue in cheek kind of smile. But at the same time, you're kind of shaking your head going, man, you kind of maybe part of you wants this to happen to the top 1% or to the privileged or to those that can get away with something. And so from an audience point of view, there's a part of me that was like, yeah, you guys are just trash. You, you've done so many bad things. But then I think about myself and I'm going, who is Slowick to judge these people? Who is Slowick to keep these chefs sort of imprisoned when they are actually, are they all like the sous chef? Do they all have some kind of like poor life that this is the life that they want? So was it fair? Is it justified? I think it was entertaining. It was entertaining to see that not that the bad people got what they deserved, but that there was really no redemptive arc for any of them. They were all just sort of complaining about the fact that they got called out for their crap. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, welcome to hell. Okay. You just, you don't have the opportunity to to be forgiven. I mean, this is, if there's any redemption, obviously it comes from Margot because she's honest. But I, I think it was sort of a sideways way of getting the quote, good person out of the uh, situation. Yeah, I, it didn't work fully for me because they're not all worthy of death. And they they haven't all done something. You know, he's judging them for things that are at times maybe immoral in a couple of cases. In other cases, these people have done absolutely nothing worth. They're worth being called out, right? They're worth being pointed at and saying, listen, you need to think about the way that you're engaging with someone else's love and the the thing that they are creating for you. And maybe you need to, you know, give it more attention and time and effort when you're engaged, you know, eating this food or whatever. But like, is that a reason to kill them? No, absolutely not. It's kind of, it's kind of overboard in a big, big way. Of course, that's the point of satire. It's what satire does. But 
Um, you know, some of them I did feel a tinge of sadness for, like the assistant. I didn't really think had any real reason to die. Um, you know, the the husband and wife pairing. The husband cheated on her. We learn. Yes, but what did the wife do other than the two of them get called out for coming back and back and back and back and back and never really like letting one single experience that he has with them sit for any amount of time and like savoring it like that's their biggest crime <laughs> It's because they didn't savor his meal long enough and they took it for granted. So you should die. I mean, that's just ridiculous. And so I did have some, uh, you know, level of sadness for some of them. I I thought that the whole thing with him being guilty of sexually assaulting or, you know, I thought that that whole thing was a little off for me. I didn't really like that part. It it seemed like they wanted to put another horror element into it. And you mentioned like the most dangerous game. It sets it up to be something like that. And then it's nothing. Like it doesn't even, it's not even entertaining. (laughs) Like, because I hate to say this, but it would be somewhat entertaining if they did actually get hunted and like, killed off somehow, you know, but like they, they run off and then they just come, you know, limping back into the <laughs> dinner room anyway, because they all got stabbed in the thigh. I don't know. I, that, that whole part just kind of fell a little short for me. And then the other interesting thing that I found was nobody really fights back. And I wonder if you had a thoughts on this. Is there a reason for this? There is a guy that does try to run for the door at one point. He slips, he falls. He doesn't get out they do show a couple of different times some of the chefs the like the kitchen staff or whatever who are kind of like guarding doors i guess you should you could say they're like standing there like a bouncer but never once even when they're being covered in graham cracker and marshmallow and chocolate hats knowing full well what's like about to go down do they ever try and get out i guess one guy you know one of the guys like tries to bang the window of the glass when he sees the angel investor getting drowned out there i just that was like a little bit of a miss for me because i just didn't feel realistic and and i know you know a lot of this is not realistic but i i believe that at some point there would be enough of an uprising to try and save their own lives and I would be fine with it if they failed and, and it was truly a situation where they were captured and stuck. But it, am I missing something? Is the movie trying to say something about them that they didn't try? Because And the reason I ask that is because at one point toward the end, Chef Slowick actually does address it. And he says, you guys didn't even try that hard to get away. But I don't know what the movie's trying to get at with a point there. Well, for me, there were moments in the story where people tried to get away. And by the end of all this, what you have is from one perspective, from a perspective of the guy who is sitting back at a table, not eating the food, but watching the other couples and the other people in the room. I've seen somebody get shot. I've seen somebody get stabbed. I've seen somebody hang himself. I've seen somebody get their middle finger or their ring finger chopped off. I see someone get drowned all at the hands of one person who has the power. And so by the end of the meal, I'm asking myself, how can I get away? It's not like every option has been 
exhausted. But in seeing all of that, I can just imagine being at one of those tables and going, what's the point? And it's a very hopeless kind of perspective. But I think that for a lot of these characters, they have accepted a fate knowing not that they just can't escape, but that they really are to a point of like, what's the point? I'm going to get caught. I mean, you take the most dangerous game moment where all these guys leave. And again, Tyler, knowing what we know that he knows, he hesitates. And then he sort of just casually just sort of jogs away. What? I mean, there's no way to think that any other option is available. I mean, would like was almost character just get up and just walk out the door? No, he wouldn't because he'd have about 15 different ways in which he'd probably get killed or captured or both in a certain order. So I think for me, it's that and it's a combination. It's, it's that plus it's that this would then turn into a horror movie. Because if you had a moment where all these characters tried to escape now the plot goes to, okay, let's hunt each one of them down and kill them. And then who's the survivor at this point? And if that was the case, I don't know that if you got to the end of all that with that particular scenario and you got to Margo with the cheeseburger, I don't think that would have landed as well because you had to have all those characters alive to see what she did and know that ironically, it couldn't be replicated. You talk about a once in a lifetime experience like it was almost character, none of these characters would have been able to say, yeah, yeah, make me a cheeseburger too, because that trick has already been done. <laughs> the The cards are already out there. Nobody's getting away. So I think that the combination of those two things told me that nobody else had a chance to get out of there because they didn't have, I mean, if you're going to get philosophical, they didn't have that pure heart <laughs> that Margot did, that sense of enjoying food because of what it is. It's nutritious and it should be delicious, not this whole experiential nonsense. So for me, I look at all those characters and I think they knew they didn't have a chance by the end of all this because of all those reasons accented by the fact that they weren't Margot. Yeah. So it's, it's showing us just a, a simple, like resigning themselves to their fate is what it's exactly. giving us. Yeah. Yeah. I still don't love it. <laughs> it it works. I mean, I love the last scene, so I'm fine with it because I need people to turn into s'mores. So if there were no people, it wouldn't be interesting. The, I thought that was brilliant. I remember the first time I saw it, just my jaw was on the floor, not necessarily from shock, but out of pure just just maniacal enjoyment and laughter and hilarity at the concept of it, especially right after Margot had gone through the cheeseburger thing with him previously and she specifically said and not some of that deconstructed bullshit like a real cheeseburger right and then here here you get a deconstructed s'more which is like that buzzword in the fine dining world and i just <laughs> they look so stupid with these like chocolate rollos on their head that's what it reminded me of was a rollo you know and then it even zooms in on a couple of them and it shows like the chocolate melting down their eyes like as if it was tears across their faces and it just it's so dumb it's so dumb but that made it better for me <laughs> um for sure i thought i i think the movie ends on a super high note and that's always a good quality it kind of drags a little bit in the middle for me like i said with the you know the whole like stabbing each other in the thigh part but it, it does like ramp up that intensity and just goes out on a high 
I did want to ask you one other kind of fun question. Was there anything on the menu? And obviously we're not talking about the cheeseburger at this point. We both would love the cheeseburger. But is there any of the other courses that you think you might have enjoyed? I mean, I love a good chicken thigh. And, you know, I don't love the metaphor. <laughs> but I do like <laughs> the, I do like the little little like knife in it, the little miniature knife in the thigh. And as much as I think it's weird to make that part of taco night, I don't think of a chicken thigh. When I think of tacos, I think of ground beef or shredded chicken or you know, whatever. Um, I do think that portion of it, I think a protein-based thing, was was probably what I would love. Now, the most entertaining for me was the whole non-bread stuff. I thought that was amazing. And I see the just the little fork or the spork or whatever that wooden thing <laughs> like how do you even enjoy this like what this do you just like like lick it like it's a lollipop like you just pick that up so from a creativity standpoint i thought that was that was pretty fun just the the absence of bread a breadless bread portion of the meal but those are my two that stand out in terms of like tasty and entertaining yeah i Maybe I get I would lend myself towards saying probably none. Maybe the chicken thigh, the oyster, the very first dish on the boat. I would have been okay with a hundred percent. Not the rock. I am one. I'm right with Margot, and she's like, just shut up and eat your rock. <laughs> Dying <laughs> like in this like freaking algae and nonsense. And there's a great dialogue with Elsa over that one where he's asking her about. You know, she says something about like how it's, you know, prepared for a hundred and whatever X amount of days and she's talking about it. And um, he says it's a, it's a joke about like if you eat it a day late, he's like, what, what would happen to us? And she's like, well, you die. The bacteria will get into your bloodstream. <laughs> and she like goes through this really dark explanation of how it would kill you. And then she's like, good thing we're pros. <laughs> And you're like, ah, I don't know about this. You know, it's kind of, I guess it's like <laughs> trusting somebody to jump out of a plane. Like they gave you the bag and told you there was a parachute in it. And that all you had to do was pull this thing. There's a level of trust there. You're putting your life in their hands to be entertained or to enjoy something. Um, but no, not me, my friend. No, no way am I risking my life on some algae and a scallop or whatever the heck it was. I, I also love scallop, that. Yeah. I think it was. I also love that that moment where he asks, I guess it's the guy, the guy and his wife, you know, like, what was the last name? One dish you had here. And he's like, cod. And he's like, it was halibut. <laughs> he's like, it's so mad because he got the fish wrong. I was like, I get it. I get it. Halibut's good. Anyway. I've had halibut before. It's not, it's not Yeah, bad. I like both. I mean, sorry, I'm simple. Chef Slowick. Awesome performance I mean, by I, Ralph Fiennes. Yeah. He's Fantastic. Dude, he was he was so good. I think I think what made him work for me as a chef is one the clap. I think the clap is fantastic that again gets called out. Margot's like, does he have to do that every time? And I think at some point, I don't know if somebody said this, but I remember either hearing this or thinking it that, oh, he's clapping, which means someone's about to die. Because <laughs> that's what would happen throughout the meal, is that someone or something got sacrificed for the sake of the meal. And so if I ever experience a five-star meal or a high highbrow experience like this and somebody claps, I'm walking out of the restaurant because I'm like, I've seen it. I know it's going to happen. 
I'm going to go get Subway. Okay. <laughs> Is that okay with you? <laughs> but yeah, he's, he's great in this. He's absolutely great. That's fantastic. Well, that's all I got. That's all I got. So I guess that's the dessert is we're full. <laughs> Walking away or, or driving <laughs> away or boating away from, from this experience of feeling film. Those of you listening or still listening at this point, thanks for sticking around and enjoying this conversation as much as we had. Aaron, this has been great. And uh, we'll pick it up next week. We'll talk soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at FeelinFilm, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling filmed.